At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Janet Hebert, founder and CEO of Samsara Cycle, based in Vancouver. Janet grew up in Vancouver, but left a few years after graduating from UBC Commerce to pursue a career in finance, mainly as an institutional trader in currencies and international stocks. After 28 years away, she returned to Vancouver to find that all of his, her friends were cycling. She got dragged to a spin class and fell in love with the intensity and the cardiovascular efficiency. She quickly got hooked on indoor cycling and bought her first road bike in 2017. Frustrated with the lack of flattering clothing options for women cyclists and wanting looks that emulated her off-bike style and didn't make her look like she was on a racing team, Janet created cycling shorts that were functional and fashionable. Soon others were asking where she got them, and Samsara Cycle was born with a product line that ranges from shorts and tights to jerseys, vests, and jackets, and of course, accessories like performance socks, arm warmers, and cycling caps. Janet, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. What is the top piece of advice that you hope fellow entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? Um, well, um, I would say number one is um, don't move too quickly. Um, a lot of companies get ahead of themselves and think when they launch a product, they need to launch a bunch of other products to go with it when they haven't actually really nailed the one they started with. So it, my advice is keep it simple and move slowly. All right. Keep it simple, move slowly, but keep moving. <laughs> Tell us about the beginning of Samsara. Why did you decide that you needed to create your own cycling passions? And what were those early days like? Well, um, I got into cycling um, kind of late in life and I'm a bit of a fashionista. And so when I went searching for garments to wear that would be comfortable and technical and protective, I was really surprised to find that there was such a limited, uh, such limited options. And most garments were black, 
um, also seemingly cut for a specific body, more like a man's body, <laughs> and um, just not flattering at all. So um, I thought in my travels, I'll look for something that would suit my needs, which would be flattering, maybe printed, colorful, um, have a little bit of a fashion forward bent to it. And I just couldn't find it anywhere. So uh, I decided to um, try to create what I was looking for myself. So I um, ended up working with a young woman who had graduated from the Kwantlen School of Design, Technical Design. And she advised me on patterns and fits and uh, made a prototype for me. And so I started wearing the shorts to my indoor cycling classes and people were asking me where I got them. And um, so I thought, hmm, maybe I'm onto something here. If I really want this, there's a good chance other people do as well. And that's amazing. There's a certain step there where I think most mortals would say, ah, there's nothing out there in the marketplace. I'll, okay, I'll wear this crummy stuff. But what what was it that made you think, I can actually do something about this? Well, I could tell that I could, um, I could try to make a product with not a lot of cost or time. And I fortunately was at a stage of life where I had time on my hands because I was technically retired. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it was just like an overwhelming desire. I mean, I was I was going to spin class six times a week, and I was really frustrated. So I um, was very compelled to find a solution. And in you know, I have a degree in finance and marketing, and from a marketing perspective, it was pretty glaringly obvious to me that there was a gap in the market. So I decided to try to take advantage of that and solve a personal need at the same time. That, that, that's amazing. So. What kind of time frame are we looking at? How, how long did it take to build up the, the the line to being what it is today, which is very varied and uh, and complete? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say it's complete, but um, there's still lots of products we'd like to add to the mix to round out the collection. Um, but in terms of how long it took uh, from initial... Uh, prototype to where we are today has been about five years. Um, most of the growth happened um, from early 2020 on, um, which is, of course, coincidental with the pandemic. Um, so the beginning part of that year, things were very slow and quiet for everyone as everyone was in shock and processing the state of the world. But then cycling became a very popular pursuit during the pandemic as it was considered a safe activity to do set socially distanced outdoors. Mm -hmm. so a lot of people took up cycling during the pandemic and we benefited from the growth there. So. Right. So give us a feel now for Samsara as an organization and what, what is its footprint? Where do you sell the product? How many people are involved in the organization? Are you, you know, currently in a, still in a growth mode or? Um, yeah, this is one of the interesting things about e-commerce. When you operate a website, it's not clear what's behind it to anybody. Um, there could be hundreds of employees, there could be three. <laughs> um, in our case, we're a very lean organization. Um, we uh, primarily are a direct-to-consumer brand, so our e-commerce platform is our 
number one sales channel. But we have a showroom in Vancouver. We've actually just moved in the last couple of weeks to a bigger, brighter space, uh, but it's still pretty small, 500 square feet. Um, so we have all of our collections there for people to try on. They can purchase there as well. Um, and then as far as the team goes, uh, I work seven days a week. I'm in the shop five days a week. You're one and a half. <laughs> yeah. I have a few key individuals who, uh, who support me um, on a day-to-day -day basis, but primarily I work with independent contractors. So um, I have an independent contractor for the design and development work. Um, I have an independent contractor who helps me with the print design. So all of our prints are custom artwork and uh, the collections are basically, um, I'm the creative director for those collections, but I rely on um, others to help me with the uh, actual products in the mix, the colors and the, the fine tuning of the prints. Um, and then I have uh, a wonderful young woman who does content creation, video creation and um, stills. And she also manages our um, Instagram account for us. And then um, I outsource digital marketing. So the paid, um, paid advertising, the ads that you see on um, Facebook, Instagram, Google, that's all outsourced. Um, at one point I had six full-time employees and that was part of moving too quickly. Um, the business was not at a point revenue-wise to support that overhead. And so I had to make some tough decisions and scale things back. So we're pretty pretty lean organization. Um, I am, I rely from time to time on consultants. I'm working with a woman now uh, on uh, brand strategy, on honing in on, on our messaging and, um, you know, making sure we are speaking how we want to, to our customers and that our customers see us as we want to be seen. And so, um, yeah, from time to time, I will work with consultants as well, but I do all the finance aspects, all the administration aspects of the business, um, oversee all the um, collection of, or excuse me, creative collections, um, the product mixes, um, pretty much everything. <laughs> One of the enduring mysteries of entrepreneurship is just how uh, an individual or a really tight team such as you've described can do such amazing things. And, you know, with the, uh, the with the amplifying power of the internet behind us, it's, uh, it, it's incredible. I mean, to look at your website and see all these collections, you wouldn't think <laughs> just a handful of people behind it. No, where, I know. Where, where, where are the products actually made? Are they imported? Well, up until the current collections, we were manufacturing locally. And that was something that was really important to me. Um, but like many lessons that I learned along the way, sometimes um, certain um, important aspects of the business that you th think will uh, have a big impact, uh, have more of an impact adversely on the bottom line if you adhere to um, certain practices. So, uh, for example, manufacturing in Canada, um, contrary to public opinion, is actually not um, more, it's, it's more expensive to manufacture offshore than locally. And the quality is so much better offshore. So we actually had to teach factories how to stitch chamois pads into cycling 
garments when we first started. And um, we were working with factories that had manageable minimum order quantities, but then when the pandemic hit, they shifted and they became um, manufacturers only of uh, PPE, personal protective equipment. Right. And then we had to shift, find another manufacturer whose minimum order quantities were 500 pieces per style. So I had to take a lot of risk to, you know, to finance that inventory. Um, and then um, it just uh, with time um, and the, the kind of product offerings that we wanted to expand into, we realized that locally there just isn't the depth um, so we spent two years sourcing a manufacturing partner in China, and it's a company that is um, operated by women. Their communication is excellent. Their product quality is amazing. And um, they adhere to ethical business practices and sustainable methods. They use recycled fabrics wherever that's an option. Um, so this is current collection is the first that we've manu we've manufactured offshore and so far I'm delighted. Wow. <laughs> what a journey you've been on in order to find that. How many factories did you have to tour in China before you found this one that is working out so well? Well, given that it was during COVID when we had to find a partner, we didn't tour any. Oh, we, wow. This was all right, done, um, yeah, over Zoom and email and the like. Yeah. So, but we interviewed probably five. Um, I was also looking for a manufacturing partner in the EU because a lot of our inputs, most of our inputs are Italian. So that made sense. And it also made sense from the point of view of importing finished goods because um, goods that are made in the EU and shipped from the EU are not subject to duty when they come into Canada, um, which is not the case for um, goods manufactured elsewhere. Um, in any case, yeah, probably interviewed at least five. I'm still trying, can't get over something you said earlier in the interview where you, you said you came back to, to, to Vancouver to retire. Um, you have this very youthful energy and also you're now working seven days a week. So tell me what you thought was going to happen <laughs> when, you, when you came back. What did retirement look, look like for you? I, I technically retired from my trading career um, more than a decade before I moved back. Um, however, I have three sons and my primary role was uh, raising them um, until they got to a certain age. Um, and then when I got divorced and moved back to Vancouver, um, yeah, I thought, okay, you know, my time is all my own. I, I don't need to show up anywhere at any particular time. Uh, but <laughs> all of my friends, Vancouver friends were working and um, I had a lot of untapped creative energy. And when you talked about youthful energy, um, I tried a day of retirement this past weekend just to see what it might feel like. And by three o'clock, I was bored stiff. Um, when I say I work seven days a week, I'm just always on. So I answer emails, I answer uh, customer direct messages. Um, sometimes I'm, I schedule meetings on the weekends with designers and so on, but it never feels like work that I don't want to do. The stuff I don't want to do is like the taxes and um, things like that, the admin stuff. But 
uh, all the creative aspects of the business right. don't feel like well, work I mean, to me. Entrepreneurs may or may not enjoy their work, but but they're on a journey. And it's the journey that makes <laughs> the work possible. And of course, the, the the dilemma for entrepreneurs is that they often have to do the hard stuff that they can't get anyone else to do. Oh, no question. Yeah. Um, you know, when I interview people, I talk about how, you know, we all sort of need to roll in our sleeves and pitch in wherever, um, you know, efforts need to be directed. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, uh, the, the entrepreneur, the founder is the catch-all for everything. So um, those tasks that either other people don't have time for or people put at the bottom of their to-do list, they ultimately fall on the founder of the company. Right. And tell us about your, 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 your customers. Uh, who, who's buying this and what kind of feedback are they giving you? Because that's the fun part. Yes, it is the fun part. And so uh, we are a women-only brand, so uh, that narrows down our customer base quite a lot. Um, however, um, the number of women getting into cycling uh, is increasing at a rapidly increasing rate. Um, and not just um, casually cycling, but women are getting into racing and competing and um so our customers really span uh, an age range of 18 to 65 plus. Um, we offer garments for a more casual cyclist. Um, and we re this year we introduced uh, an elevated collection, which is aimed at um, a woman who's competing, racing, um, or simply just wants the best that's available technically in terms of seamless and lightweight and um, <clears throat> beautiful race fits and so on. So um, our customer, we have a lot of repeat customers and very loyal customers, which is really gratifying. Um, basically what motivates me is um, when I see someone come out of the change room and they thought the experience was gonna be awful, like trying on a bathing suit and they come <laughs> out with a smile on their face. And that can be like, we're very inclusive with our, our sizing and our fits. So um, from double extra small to double extra large, every woman who uh, wears Sam Sarah looks and feels great in it. And that's what really motivates me and makes that, me happy. That's cool. And what kind of communications do you have with your customers? What, are, you, are, you, are you deliberately trying to get a lot of feedback and find out what they want next? Uh, yes. So we have, um, we ask for, um, product reviews by email. Um, generally it's two weeks after somebody purchases something, we ask them to provide feedback and we do get a lot of great, um, <clears throat> reviews of our products, mostly five-star reviews. And, um, <clears throat> We do know a lot of our customers personally because we started basically um, in a local indoor cycling studio. And a lot of those women are also outdoor cyclists and they know other people. And um, so we've gotten to know women cyclists within our community, um, which is great. Um, so um, yeah, we, we have a, a wonderful network of people to draw on. We were looking for feedback on what products you'd like to see next. And occasionally we will even put something up design wise on an Instagram story. And it's like this or that, a new print, for example. And 
our customers love to engage with us in those kinds of ways. Our show's producer, Maddie, she's a big fan of your company, and she shared that Samsara's customer journey is very thoughtful and generous. After you place an order, you're greeted with discount codes and you get custom email messaging, and you're really invited into the company's uh, journey. Just wondering what kind of effort and what kind of systems you've put into effect to, to, to create a, a, a customer service like this. Well, it's really important to me that our customers feel seen and heard because I personally do a reasonable amount of online shopping and I get very frustrated when um, I feel like I've purchased something and then I'm forgotten about. Um, so yes, we welcome people into the Sam Sarah community when they make their first purchase and we share tips on how to care for their garments and and so on. And so we have an email series that when people sign up to our newsletter, they do receive a discount code the first for their first online purchase. And then they are um, asked for feedback and um, they get um, tips and uh, tricks and all sorts of information shared with them on a semi-regular basis. Um, so yeah, it's really important that our customers feel like we value them and we trust them and that we want to be a trusted source as well. So, and we, we want to be more than just a digital interface. And how does that, what, what, what's the impact of that? The, is there an advantage? Is there a benefit that you can quantify or describe in terms of creating that community feel? Um, I can think of examples, a uh, lot many, where um, I might receive an outreach and someone in the way that they've phrased their email, they probably think they're talking to a person in a customer service silo <laughs> and they'll <laughs> say that they have a concern and then in, in the email will actually come from our um general email, which is info at samsaracycle.com. And I will respond from my personal email and I will answer their query and I will offer them advice. And they can see from my email um, footer that they're getting a message from the founder of the company. So um, I often get um, some like, oh my goodness, thank you so much. I really appreciate the prompt response. Um, I had an issue with some shipping recently where there were some packages that were delayed and they were they all seemingly were in the same shipment and three customers reached out and they were saying that they were frustrated and they couldn't get any any clarity on the tracking and so I I chased it up myself and I responded to each one of them individually I apologized for the delay I explained how it happened and I offered them each a gift card for their um, for the trouble and the feedback I got was. Uh, was really warm and um, personal. And um, so, you know, again, when people learn that they're actually dealing with a, not only just a person, but the founder of the company, and she demonstrates that she really cares and wants them to be happy, uh, I think that just goes a long way. And so, you know, people do say, I'm going to share um, my experience with my friends and um, encourage them also to check out your company and your brand. So, yeah, I mean, you, like most things in life, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, 
right. but yes. But it, it sounds like that's not really sustainable, though. I mean, if two or three years from now you're still following up on individual orders that run into trouble or something. It isn't sustainable, um, no. It isn't, <laughs> um, but it will sustain itself as long as possible because I really enjoy the interaction with the customers. Um, and if I have to hand off other aspects of what I do to other people, I'm happy to do that to free up more of my time. Um, but, you know, clearly when we get to a certain size, it, it will not be me personally, but it will be important to me and has been important to me that all of my values permeate the company. And um, so anybody who ever is working in a customer service role for Samsara will um, be made to understand that we trust our customers, we value them, and they need to feel that that is the case. Wouldn't it be cool if you could have someone do that job for you who was actually um, a good communicator and empowered to, you know, send out gift cards or make things right, whatever it took? Because I find that when I deal with big businesses, the, the customer service people are none of those things. And, you know, I think this can be a huge advantage for for small and medium-sized businesses, that they can invest in the customer service platform and it might just be one person, but who's empowered to, you know, be creative and and and, and empathetic, and 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 to actually help people rather than be strictly transactional, such as you're welcome to return it. Which is, I've, I've gotten that message before when I've tried to suggest things to brands I like and which I would like to see do better, and it so disappoints me that they care so little and they will never know because they don't care what those lower level uh, customer service employees are doing to their mm -hmm. brand. For sure. Um, I mean, as, as any company grows, you know, the founder or founders do have to obviously give up some control. But I think, you know, if you're growing at a measurable pace, you can do your best to make sure that your values are carried throughout all the aspects of how the company does business. Uh, it's often, I think, when companies grow really quickly that they do lose a lot of that control um, or, they, or they're outsourcing um, their customer service even to another country. <laughs> so I don't foresee us having that issue. Um, but, um, yeah, um, customer service is, is really a very, very important, important part of our company. And, um, you know, one of my core values is to really treat people with respect and um, and let them know that we care and we're here to support them. And, and, and I think that's so important. It's so important to creating a community and I'm sure it pays off, pays off better in the long run than that, that, than, than just, you know, throwing the customer service uh, element out the window and presuming everyone will order again just because. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't want to operate a company that way. And, and help me understand who, who your customers are. Are you mainly selling to people in Vancouver, to Canadians, to Americans uh, in this amazing e-commerce world of ours? Well, um, at, to date, uh, we offer our products for sale through our e-commerce platform to anywhere in North America. Um, currently, 75% of our customers are in Canada. 25% are in the U.S. and then there's a 
very small handful of people who've reached out from, for example, Australia. I've had a handful of people reach out to say, oh, I don't see Australia as a shipping option, but I really want to buy something. So then I'll just uh, do a custom order for them and get them a shipping quote. And so, uh, but yes, primarily uh, North America um, and Vancouver is where we are most well known. But it's interesting, we get these little pockets that pop up here and there. Um, we'll get like a cluster of orders from somewhere in the Midwest. And it's clear that somebody found us online and then they shared <laughs> their experience. And then, you know, we get other orders from that same little town or whatever. So it's, it's quite interesting to watch that. Um, but obviously that is a function in part of, um, you know, search engines and how we direct our advertising budgets and, there's two schools of thought in terms of advertising, uh, digital advertising. Um, one school of thought is, you know, do it very directed geographically, et cetera. And then there's another one that says, let the algorithm figure it out. You don't know where your customers are going to be, so don't restrict the algorithm. So but we've tried both approaches. Um, the jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Where do you see growth coming from in the future? Is it from more product or further growth in the U.S.? or uh, Both. I mean, we've really only scratched the surface in the U.S. And um, in this past November, I was part of a, a course called the Trade Accelerator Program. Um, and part of that um, was to identify a market, a geographic market that I want to expand to. So the logical one for us is the US. Um, so I created a, uh, an export plan and I've actually applied for some government funding that is specifically related to um, growing exports. Um, so yeah, I mean, the US obviously is a much bigger market population wise, but that can also make it harder to find your customers um, because, you know, competing for ad space um, is more expensive in more densely populated markets and so on. Um, but yes, the US does represent a big growth area for us. And we also want to branch out our product offerings to this fall, we'll be offering uh, winter riding garments and um, we're going to be expanding our product offerings for mountain and gravel to include baggy shorts and um, technical t-shirts and so on. Very cool. So growth on all fronts. Mm -hmm. You mentioned before that women's cycling is exploding um, and, and, and racing as well. How do you see uh, your company growing along with it? Um, well, I mean, we're kind of we were kind of in a sweet spot because um, when the pandemic hit and we were a local Vancouver brand um, and there were lots of people um, locally that took up cycling, they found us and so, and they've stayed with us and stayed loyal. And, um, so we've, we've gotten to know a lot of the, um, cycling clubs locally, um, and race communities. And, um, we've just been hearing, uh, firsthand, um, how, uh, so many more women are getting into cycling for a variety of reasons. Um, it's a, considered a healthy and safe uh, pursuit for women of all shapes and sizes. So, um, you know, women of plus size can cycle um, comfortably and safely. And um, 
So to have an activity that really is available to uh, women of all ages and all levels of fitness is uh, is such a great thing. So, um, I mean, and in terms of racing, um, we've actually this year sponsored a race team, um, Vancouver cool. team called Ruckus Racing. And uh, they're an incredible group of women who are um, obviously competing and they're um, you know, their motto is, um, I won't get this exactly right, but basically uh, they want to be taken seriously, but they're also having fun. So, you know, their goal is to be on the podium, but they um, they want to do so in a way where they're enjoying the process. It's not, an, you know, an intense, um, you know, kind of pursuit that isn't fun. And they're also um, extremely inclusive and encouraging other women who are interested in potentially racing. Um, so they mentor and support and provide clinics and group rides and, and they're just seeing their numbers grow. And so if you just use that example, as kind of a microcosm of what's going on around the world. Um, you know, it's just the, the pace of growth is pretty impressive. Um, it's only recently that, that women have been competing in the, the Perry Roubaix race, which was won this past weekend by a Canadian woman, uh, Alison Jackson. So um, that's like a huge development in the sport and a huge development for Canadian cycling in particular. Um, and um, in terms of, you know, other benefits of cycling that um, everyone experienced, but, you know, women are, women like to get together and socialize uh, with like-minded people um, and so cycling is a social sport too. I mean, besides the, the group ride, um, it's often followed up with, you know, getting together for a beer or a coffee or a glass of wine or, or whatever. And then, you know, great conversation. So it's more than, you know, what it appears on the surface. I think guys by, you know, uh, as a differentiator, you know, the, they might go for a beer after a ride, but typically it's more like, like, Let's just grab our bikes and go, and then when we're done, see you later. But you know, women make it more of a, a social. Um, Do you think that Samsara has a role to play in helping the the sport grow? Simply because if you're feeling good and have more than one outfit to wear, uh, you're going to go and, and and enjoy that more often. Absolutely, women uh, are way more likely to put themselves out there if they look and feel great in what they're wearing. So. Um, we offer women garments that are designed specifically to accommodate curves and, you know, from all across our whole size range, um, there's a term in, in, um, that refers to, um, the way cycling shorts fit at the hem, which is like sausage legs. So even, even lean women sometimes will get experience that because the leg elastics are too tight on their shorts. So we've been extremely um, conscientious and mindful about iterating our fits so that across our whole size range, uh, every woman gets a smooth silhouette. And so if you can look in the mirror before you go out the door and say, wow, I feel good. I look great. Um, you're just more likely to do that more often, get on your bike more often. 
um, and be happy to put yourself out there. That's fantastic. If you to, to have a leadership role in such a uh, in such a great movement would be amazing. What is your hope for the company, whether over the next two, three or five years? Do you have a plan? Do you have a vision? Uh, I do. Yes. So. Um, Obviously, we've talked already about expanding our cycling product offerings, um, but I like the idea of adding other uh, activities into the mix. So not mainstream ones um, like running or swim, but um, pickleball <laughs> is a growing sport. <laughs> and I think people are just wearing tennis gear or leggings or whatever. Um, you know, I think... Uh, there's definitely room for growth in terms of um, getting into other activities, clothing for other activities. Very cool. And I can't let you go without asking you about the name, Sam Sarah. Where did that come from? Well, there's a popular but incorrect story out there that it was started by two women, one named Samantha and one named Sarah. Uh, the truth is um, that name came from a brainstorming session and um, Sam Sarah in Sanskrit means cycle, but refers to cycle of life. And then it has another connotation in Buddhism, which is about going through purgatory and coming out the other side. So um, a good cycling analogy would be grinding up that really steep hill. And when you get to the top, that's your samsara moment. That's cool. Or even just trading in those uh, stretchy, racy garments for something that you look good in. That's a samsara moment too. It's a sensor moment too, yes. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, traditionally, our final question is if you have any other thought or words of wisdom for our entrepreneur listeners uh, to sort of sum up what you've learned in your experience. Well, um, for me, in life in general and in this experience starting and growing a company, it's about trusting my gut, trusting my instincts. Um, and it's as much about trusting um, in, the, in a positive way and also trusting when something doesn't feel right. Uh, because a lot of people are going to offer advice and come out of the woodwork and there will be people who will work with you who don't have a vested interest or aren't taking the risk. And, um, you know, you'll get pulled in different directions. And if it doesn't feel right, it isn't right. And if it feels really right, if your instincts are telling you, I'm really on to something here and it's a passion, stick with it. You're right. Love it. Yeah. If it doesn't feel right, it isn't right. I can think of so many times I should have listened to that little voice myself. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Janet Hebert, the founder and CEO at Sam Sarah Cycling in Vancouver. Keep an eye on them at samsara-cycle.com. Jenna, thanks so much for sharing your story. And uh, we look forward to uh, staying in touch and following along and, and seeing you climb many more mountains. Thank you, Rick. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.